Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. The first practice of the second Daryl Sutter era is in the books as the Calgary Flames get ready for a big Thursday matchup against the Montreal Canadiens. Welcome to Hockey Central at noon, everyone. I'm Peter Klein. Our producer is Logan Gordon. Coming up in the next hour, we will hear from Eric Dehatchuk at about 12.30. A lot's happened since we chatted with him, so we'll get his take on a number of different things that have happened throughout the day. Uh, but the big story today is Daryl Sutter is back leading practice for the Calgary Flames. Here to help us break all of that down is Peter Lebar. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Good afternoon, Lou. How are you today, sir? I am excellent. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you very much. Uh, the uh, the, the Daryl Sutter era is now underway Again, as uh, he was in charge of practice today. And uh, from everything I am seeing on social media, uh, the players got a very quick glimpse into what life under Daryl Sutter is going to be like. I believe I saw the term bag skate used a couple of times. Um, it's, I, I'm fascinated to see how this whole thing plays out, but day one certainly is interesting. Well, I'm not sure I'd go as far as saying it was a bag skate, but there was a skating drill, and we have not seen one of those for quite some time. Peter, at the top of the list with Daryl Sutter, one thing for me has never changed. He has one thing that jumps out at you. Presence. When he walks in a room, it's presence to almost the point of intimidation. And he has earned that presence. Not everybody has that. They don't command that. He commands that and has a resume and a hockey career to back that up. So that is a great place to begin. Now, in observing the practice today, um, lots of things stood out. There was incredible attention to detail by the players. No one was leaving early. Um, it was pointed. The players um, performed with a lot of energy and a lot of pace. Now, is that generally the case when somebody new takes over? Yes. That, that absolutely 100% almost across the board is the case. So from here on in, though, Peter, I don't know if I could be any more intrigued by one thing, one overriding thing. What does Daryl Sutter think? And who does he value? And eventually, who's he going to entrust? And I cannot wait to see it play out. Because what I truly believe for Daryl that is different is in a world today where at times people have different approaches, people think it different, the modern day athlete is different. They're more equipped. They come at it from a different place. 
But this is about a standard. And this is about, in my opinion, what everyday life, every relationship, every team is about. Standard, buying, and selling. And I cannot wait. I, I think after all the years I've been around the game and what I've observed, and while I can't tell you that I have spent a ton of personal time with Daryl, I think I have a pretty good feel, and I, I'm so excited, Peter, about the opportunity again to watch. Because when I arrived in Calgary, he was the general manager. He wasn't the coach. But I have incredible respect. I always have. I always will. And he said it the other day. I said it with Kelly yesterday. To be great at anything, you have to have a standard. You have to keep your side of the street clean. You have to understand that it's not going to be for everybody. Trust me. It's not going to be for everybody. But when you decide, and he may have already in some ways decided, who he gives the keys to the car, I just, I can't wait. And a couple of examples, Mm -hmm. Peter, I would make with that are, in all the hockey people I talk to, they, they really say in many ways, and I believe in it myself, I always have. And that is, when you give out those keys, you demand a lot. And, and that player or those players have to be able to do things the right way on a regular, consistent basis to set the standard for your group. And when that marriage comes together of work, commitment, you start to win. But it's not an easy place because if it was, Mr. Klein, every team would get there. Every team would identify and have those people and then empower them. It's tricky. It's never been trickier than it is today because in the modern day sports world, we kind of put everything on the stars. And in a sense, so do I. Because if your best people, or as a dear friend of mine um, and somebody I think very highly of, and that's Peter Anholt, the general manager of the Lethbridge Hurricanes, a shout out to him today. But in a recent conversation, he said, Your lead people. If they don't do it the right way, you've got no chance. Very well said. Um, just seeing some of the, the quotes coming in here, and I know you haven't had a chance to see these, Lou, and I don't want to catch you completely off guard. No, um, you but, can throw um, anything at me. 
and that that's why I like these chats because I feel like even like oh yeah a kid who plays in Bantam in Norway I could ask you about him and you get it. Um, <laughs> this uh, quote here from Matthew Kachuk he stressed there's not going to be crazy changes in the way that we're playing. He said the system is correct but the style we need to fix and that is the thing that I, I'm most interested in. Um, we've talked about what this Flames team needs to do to be successful. And we've seen glimpses of it. And I think for Daryl now and for the players like a Matthew Kachuk, the key is going to be getting that out of them on a more consistent basis. The team isn't going to drop into just like a massive trap or anything like that. They're still going to play kind of a similar style, I guess, or a same similar system to that point. It's just now going to be, can we get that consistent effort on a night in night out basis? And I think that is kind of, um, job one for Daryl Sutter with this group. Well, again, doesn't it go back to buying and selling and believing? Yep. So, you know, I've been pretty adamant about this. It's the one thing that I've hung my hat on. And what I've hung my hat on is it has not been about not necessarily systems and tactics it's been about the consistency of the work. The consistency of putting it on the table night in and night out. You know why people get frustrated? Because if you can show me that you can do it once, why can't you do it again? So is that on the plan or is that on the inability to execute the plan? Now, yes, guess what? I live in a world, Peter, every day as a veteran broadcaster who has a big, strong personality looking for buy-in, whether it's from you, Will, Pat, Derek. And I push. And does it always go over the right way? Nah, not always. But I've always been committed to it. But guess what? Then the challenge becomes, who are you working with? Who are you working with? So Daryl will have a view from afar, and he knows. He knows. And that's why I said to you off the top, He's going to dig in, and you better have a shovel <laughs> Be, because accountability, and he has, in my opinion, absolutely full support to get it. Mm-hmm. Looking at uh, a couple of the, the groups on this team that uh, I think will benefit from this, you look at that Kachuk-Lindholm-Dubé line, which was together at practice. And again, uh, a few omissions from practice. We'll get to those in a second. But um, Kachuk-Lindholm-Dubé, it just it kind of feels like a Daryl line. I understand they were together before, but that feels like a line that Daryl's going to fall in love with pretty quickly. Okay, help me understand why you feel that way. Uh, I look at Matthew. I look at Matthew Kachuk as like the Daryl guy, uh, as someone who is going to be difficult to play against. And you look at Lindholm and Dubé, that commitment to the 200 foot game, that is something that I think of again 
from a Daryl hockey team. Um, and, and yeah, I, I just look at Kachuk as someone who really fits that mold. Dubé is growing into that role. Lindholm, we've taught, we, we've gushed about Lindholm so many times. He is just, I, I think regardless of the coach, he is a guy who is easy to fall in love with, with from a, a coaching standpoint. And you see all three of them put together. And to me, they just fit that hard to play against 200 foot game, make the other team work. And in Daryl's mind, that at least what we can tell, that feels like the exact line that he's going to really like to utilize with this Flames group. So when we assess, when we assess, and you just did, I'm going to take one more step. Okay. And, and the step is, from what you've seen, who are the two most consistent, or who is the most consistent guy in the group? I would say of Lindholm. The, of the three, right. Yeah, right. Lindholm. Lindholm is the most consistent. So I've thought a lot about this. So let's think about the 2014 Los Angeles Kings. And I actually want to get to Matthew more than anybody. But let's let's start with some comparative-type pieces, understanding that these aren't, you know, you have different people. But do we see... Do we see an Elias Lindholm, somebody whose details, work, are outstanding? Yes, we do. We absolutely do. Can you see some Kopitar there? Yes, you can. You can. Does he, is he ever going to get 92 points in a season? No. But, but can he be a Bergeron-Kopitar combination be a 30-40 guy, 35-35 guy with the right pieces, I think he can. So, Daryl Sutter, when he led the Calgary Flames to a Stanley Cup final, had some guy by the name of Kiprasov. In Los Angeles, he had a guy that's still playing pretty good today, Jonathan Quick. Do I feel like the Calgary Flames have a version of Jonathan Quick? Well, not the same kind of goalie. I mean, Jonathan's one of the most athletic goalies I've ever seen. And pretty good in those cup runs and in that stretch of five or six where the Kings were as relentless and miserable and rotten to deal with. They broke you. You rarely broke them. And then on defense. So this is where it's going to get tricky, Peter, so follow along. Okay. So I think right now the guy who glues the defense together would be who, in your estimation? Who glues this defensive group together for you? Uh, I would say it might be a little bit early to say this about him, but I would say Chris Tanev, well, what he has been able to do with this team so far and providing that consistency, helping maximize Hannafin, I, I would say Tanev. I don't think there's any doubt about it. None. Zero. For me, end of story. So there's, there's a different kind of piece. And, you know, in Los Angeles, was, is there anybody here like Drew Doughty? Yes, there is. And I'm going to get there in a second. But you have Tanev. You, you have the makings of an excellent blue line. Excellent. Rasmus Anderson still growing. You know, 
is is Rasmus is Rasmus a doughty type in terms of how competitive he is? Yes. It, to me, is he a kind of combo plate between Slava Voinov back in the day and and Drew? Maybe. You know, there, there, but this team, and and I believe it's why Daryl said yes, is because he sees a lot. He talked about being deep down the middle. When the LA Kings won the Stanley Cup in 2014, their centers were Kopitar, Carter, Mike Richards, and Jarrett Stoll. Whew. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> so... He believes, you know, and I look at one of our favorite sports, baseball, very similar. When you're strong down the middle, it's a good place to start. Now, the next part is the roles, how you play, and where you go forward. So down the middle with this group, you know, you've got – You've got, obviously, Lindholm, and it was interesting to me to see that, you know, at least early, he's not going back to Monaghan, Gaudreau, and Kachuk. He still has Monaghan and Gaudreau together. No Michael Backlund today at practice. He skated earlier. Apparently has a bit of a family, not a family issue, but something family-related. Hope it's not an issue. And for right now, Derek Ryan. Well, you know, that's maybe not the 2014 L.A. Kings, but there's something to work with there. So, you know, it's I, I just I can't wait to see it all come together. Now, my final one for the day, basically. Who's been in an absolute tussle over the years with Drew Doughty? <laughs> uh, Matthew Kachuk, rather famously. I think those two guys, while they play two different positions, are like two peas in a pod. And it's why they can't stand one another. They are unbelievably competitive. They, When they are at their best, Drew Doughty showed at 20 years of age on Canada's Olympic team in Vancouver. There's no stage too big for that guy. And he, he is all in on hockey. He plays hard everywhere. Trust me. But when I think about the LA Kings and their run, as much as I look at big pieces, and they were big pieces, you know, Dustin Brown, Justin Williams, Kopitar, the centers. When I think about kind of the heartbeat in some ways of the LA Kings, I think about Drew Doughty because it doesn't matter if it's in the parking lot. It doesn't matter where the game is played. You want to talk about a guy who has shown in his career, the ability to ante up it's him and it started early. And while maybe he's not the same guy now, he's in a very different situation. But that guy's a pretty good guy and was a pretty good guy to go and run with, don't you think? Mm-hmm. And, and I see a lot of similarity in Matthew Kachuk. I, I think when you think about the keys to the car, if Matthew Kachuk is all in, and you said it, I didn't. You talked about that line 
being a Daryl Sutter line. Do I see Matthew Kachuk as a Daryl Sutter guy? Oh, yes, I do. And Matthew is incredibly intelligent. And he is all about hockey. And he wants to win. And he is competitive. But he is still 23 and growing. And I think part of what has troubled him at times is he getting the buy-in sometimes from some of his teammates who might look at him different because they're different. But if one of Daryl Sutter's situations, and he's going to empower everybody because as a coach, you need everybody. It is collaborative. But he's the focus for me. He is, and, and again, you know, next year his contract comes to an end. What does Matthew Kachuk want? Where does he want to be? Does he truly want to lead the Calgary Flames? I can see the marriage. I can go to the jewelry store and buy the ring. But I don't know both sides well enough to know how it's going to mix. It's going to be, uh, again, interesting is a word I keep throwing out over the next little while to, to see how this all plays together. And another kind of um, marriage that I'm interested to see is Gaudreau and Monaghan with Daryl Sutter. Um, as we talked about Kachuk and Lindholm being perfect Daryl people, there are some who are assuming Gaudreau and Monaghan, yeah, not as much. And uh, we make kind of the comparison with that that Kings team. If you can get kind of Monaghan to be the Jeff Carter, that makes this thing a whole lot easier. H- how do you view that fit, Gaudreau, Monaghan, and Winger X with, with Daryl Sutter here? I don't know. I don't know. But you know what I do know? In the case of the Calgary Flames, who's the offensive driver when it's going well? Which guy would you point to of those two guys? Oh, very much Johnny Gaudreau. Johnny Gaudreau. And Mr. Klein, so would I. So if you are the driver, you need to do it all the right way, and you need to drive. And you need to drive not only when it's nice outside like today, but you need to drive in snowstorms. You need to drive in construction zones. Can't wait to see that either. Johnny yeah, Gaudreau, Johnny Gaudreau, at his best, can you drive it? And can you drive it when it's hard and it's incredibly accountable? I'm not going to sell Johnny short because what I do know is people can say the right things to us and you can hear it from the same, the same speech from a bunch of different people. Do you get it? Do you own your part in it? And are you willing to do different? When you're willing to do different and you have really good game, man alive, can you get to special places?
Chatting with our Flames insider, Peter Labardius here on Hockey Central at noon. Uh, just, just one more here for you, Lou. One note from practice. Um, no Backlund, we mentioned before, dealing with a family matter. Uh, Sam Bennett was not at practice today either, and neither was Joachim Nordstrom. So maybe not a, a great sense of what the, the lines or anything would look like. And everyone so focused on what Sam Bennett's going to look like with, with Daryl Sutter and the night one or day one, I can't, can't come to practice today because he's banged up. So I, I thought that was a, a bit of unfortunate timing for, for both Daryl and for Sam Bennett. So two things here. So today with Monaghan and Gaudreau was Brett Ritchie. Yeah. I've liked Brett Ritchie quite a bit. Plays hard, physical, has size. Oh, that doesn't sound like something that... And you know what else? His board work is good. Mm -hmm. You know where this team has struggled? Their board work has not been up to par. Being harder on the wall. Getting to hard spots in the offensive zone. Making sure pucks are out. Being simpler. Now... The thing about Brett is he's there today. Will it be Sam when he comes back? Because, you know, in the case of Brett Ritchie, I've liked what I've seen, and I think he fits a lot of things, and he shoots it too. But when you assess, the next step is you have attributes. Can you handle the minutes? When the minutes go up and the roll go up, how do you do? So, yes, we can all see somebody come into a game and give us, you know, 10, 12 great minutes. And I think Brett Ritchie will be afforded the opportunity to see what that's going to look like going forward. But I also really, for a couple of games recently, didn't we really like Nordstrom, Ryan, and Ritchie? I know I did. I think the minutes are right. I think the responsibility is right. We'll see how it plays itself out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that uh, that right side has been a bit of a tricky spot for uh, a few coaches now. So we will see um, if Richie has the uh, the perfect formula. Lou, fun chat today. I, I really enjoyed this. Let's do it again tomorrow, shall we? I uh, I think we're going to. I think so, yeah. Have a great <laughs> afternoon, my friend. Have a great afternoon. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. All right. Send in your questions for Lou's mailbag at sportsnet.ca slash 960. You can tune in Fridays at noon to see if yours is answered. If it was, you'll be walking away with a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris to use as soon as they are open. Winners will be selected weekly until the end of the regular season. Lou's mailbag brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Book your table today to enjoy their award-winning steak. A world-class dining experience awaits with added efforts to ensure safety and comfort. A lot has happened in the last week since we chatted with Eric DeHatchuk. We'll get his perspective on a number of topics around the National Hockey League. That's coming up next. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan.
We continue with Hockey Central at noon and our NHL insider, Eric Tehachuk. We chat with him once a week and holy cow, how things have changed in the last week. Uh, Mr. Tehachuk, how are you today, sir? I'm good. Where are we going to start? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I was actually, I've been kind of messing around with the line, uh, the, the lineup of questions for today. I think we'll start with Daryl Sutter. Um, you, you've been okay. in this market a long time. Uh, so has Daryl Sutter, in fact. And now he is back. Your thoughts seeing Daryl Sutter once again as the coach of the Calgary Flames? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do think that he's, he's the right coaching hire for the, 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 the point that the franchise is in. In other words, you know, if, if you looked at, you know, the way the team was playing towards the end. You know, I've heard it characterized a lot of different ways. I, I just saw it as maybe a little too casual for the consistent level that you need to, to win at the National Hockey League level. Just a little too casual. You know, even small things like uh, like line changes and, 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 and the effort that it takes to, to dig in for those couple of extra strides at the end of a, of a shift. I wasn't seeing enough of that. And, and I think that that's one of the things that, that Daryl Sutter will bring because that's something that he has always sort of insisted on in his coaching modus operandi. So if you believe that this team is talented enough to be a playoff team, and I think a lot of people in, in Calgary do, certainly those of us that were making forecasts at the start of the year, we, you know, me, a, a bunch of us had, uh, had Calgary in the, the playoff mix. So something clearly has, has gone wrong uh, in, in the first, you know, closing in on the, on the first half of the season. And I do think that the techniques that they're, that Daryl Sutter uses are, are are going to help this group. Now, like if the second part of that question is, you know, is it too much ground to make up in too short a period of time? I don't have the answer to that. It, it's, you know, they're in a hole and, and certainly, you know, one out of four points this weekend didn't help. So, so it's going to be important to see, you know, like at what point sort of the way Daryl wants to coach and, and how the team responds to, to Daryl's coaching intersect. And then, then if there's enough time, to, to salvage what's, uh, what's left of the season because it's a big hole and, and they got to start winning almost right out of the gate. Yeah, and the good thing is that they're playing the teams that are ahead of them right away as you, you get the, the Montreal matchup coming up here on Thursday. The problem mm -hmm. is, boy, you better be ready for Thursday uh, because if you drop these games, it, it just makes that hole that much more difficult to climb out of. Sure, and that's and I mean that's that is one thing that is characteristic of any season, not just a a COVID season. You know, once you dig yourself a hole and you're playing catch up, it, it, it's hard to do. It is really hard to do. And, and I know people always point to the fact that you know a couple of years ago the St. Louis Blues at Christmas, you know, were last overall and 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 you know and managed to to find a way of, of not only making the playoffs but then ultimately winning a Stanley Cup. But they still had a fair bit of runway from the moment that they started to turn things around. And I think that's also instructive that it didn't happen instantly overnight with, uh, with Craig Berube. It took a little bit of time before Craig Berube's influence sort of caught up with, 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 with the group. And then, you know, it was onward and upward. And I think something similar could, I'm not saying it will, but could happen here. But again, you know, that's, you know, it's a 56 game season. So it, it, it's way more challenging and, uh, and complicated. And the other thing too, is that, you know, like Montreal is also a team that has made a coaching change. And a lot of the things that we would say about Calgary also have to be said about Montreal. They were playing kind of a listless brand of hockey. They just didn't seem to, to have the energy that they had in the early part of the season when they were at, like they were eight and two, eight, two and two out of, out of the gate. So it's not as if, you know, this is a, 
a team that that is you know mediocre that that you're trying to reel in. You know their their goaltending seems to have improved lately. You know I like the depth that they have of one to twelve forwards. That's not something that I would have said about Montreal in previous years, but but they're pretty deep and they're pretty balanced and and they have some some you know three really quality defensemen there. So it's going to be a challenge and. Uh, you know, but I do think that there will be a greater level of urgency right out of the gate with you know Daryl behind the bench, and then it's a matter of you know you win one, and then you hope that you win enough in a row to, to get some kind of a winning streak going, because that's really what it's going to take. You know, at some point, fairly soon, they're going to have to win you know five in a row, six out of seven, you know, eight out of eleven, you know, thirteen out of seventeen, and that's what gets you back into the you know the playoff race. So that's that's a tall order. With this hire, I think one of the things that's interesting is, is like this isn't just an interim coach. This isn't a just quick fix to try to get you into the playoffs, although that is certainly the goal as we discussed. But this is a coach who's coming in for a few years, and I think that's kind of, to, to me anyway, and maybe this is me reading too much into it, I see the, the extra two years at the end, and that's saying to this group that we've seen a couple coaches walk out the door um, and have the core kind of say the same. To me, that was saying to this group, look, if something's changing next offseason, it ain't going to be him. It's probably going to be you guys. I thought that was an interesting message to send to the players. Yeah, well, no, and, and you're, you're 100% right. That, that, that's a, an accurate observation. And I think what ends up happening, and this, again, this doesn't simply apply to this coach in this particular situation, but often when you make a coaching change midseason, and especially when you're bringing in a veteran guy like uh, like Daryl, and you are committing long-term, you know, some of these coaching contracts now are for five years. And so what ends up happening when you do it mid-season is that, you know, Daryl's been watching the team play from, from Viking, but you can't really truly get a sense of how many people are buying into what you're selling until you actually have them in the dressing room and you start working with them. So, you know, they, he has an opportunity now to really assess every single player on the roster for the final, what, 30 games or however many is left right now. And then what happens, so depending on what happens, you know, best case scenario, they make the playoffs. If they miss the playoffs, there will be an evaluation of the group. And, you know, a lot of people have been in this market have been calling for changes. Well, you're not going to make any kind of change now, I don't believe, before the trade deadline. Nothing substantial or significant until such time as the coach can come in and evaluate the players and find out for himself, you know, you know, can Johnny Gaudreau respond to the way that I coach? Can John Monaghan respond to the way I coach? Can, can Matthew Kachuk and Elias Lindholm, so on and so forth down the road. And then at that point, you make an evaluation about the future of players in the, in the off season. So this gives him like a, enough of a, a read, I believe, to really assess the, the you know the team at, uh, at you know at his disposal and and every team always makes changes in the off season but I think that you know if if these major changes that so many people have been calling for come it will only come after a period of time and 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 Daryl has a chance to to really get a sense of you know what he's got. Well, when we look at this Flames roster, is there a player or two that jumped to you as a kind of a, a guess like quote unquote Daryl guy, someone who can really benefit from having the, the former Cup champion behind the bench? Well, I heard Lubo, you know, mention Matthew Kachuk, and I think that that's an, a very easy, 
a very easy choice because I think a lot of the qualities that uh, that he has are the same sort of qualities that uh, that Daryl likes uh, in a player. But the one thing that I would say that is maybe a little bit mischaracterized about Daryl is that that he he does well with skilled players. I, I, you know, as you know, I probably spent a lot of time in in Los Angeles in the last decade or so, and so I was on the ground for for those uh, King Stanley Cup championships. I was there for all of the playoff rounds, and I and, and there for an awful lot of games in the regular season as well. And his favorite player, maybe his favorite player of all time is, is Ange Kopitar. Why? Well, you know, he, he is a very responsible two-way player. So he has, you know, he has elite offensive skills. He's not a flashy guy. Like, you, you rarely see Kopitar on the highlights films, you know, but, but, you know, what you do is you read the summary and, oh, yeah, there's an, a one-and-one one for Kopitar, and well, there he is back in the in the top ten again. And, uh, and, and the thing that I think that he liked about Kopitar, because he said this to me many, many times, is that he was he's a coach's son. And so he gets the game. He understands how to play the game. He understands how to play the game in, in, in every situation. So I think the type of players that, that Daryl really likes are the high hockey IQ players. So, you know, Drew Doughty is another example of that. You know, say what you will about him in this market, because I know he's public enemy number one in, in some people's minds. But the guy is a savant when he plays the game. Like, he just has the ability to see and process the game at, at a high speed. And so I, I think there are people that think, you know, Daryl just wants, you know, straight ahead, you know, bang your head in the, you know, the boards, you know, that kind of player. I disagree. I, like, I think, so I, I do think someone like Johnny Gaudreau, who does, who I also think has a high hockey IQ, could do very well under Daryl. You know, like he's not going to ask Johnny Gaudreau to go out there and, and run someone. You know, he's probably going to ask, you know, maybe for a little bit of, a little bit more urgency, but I mean, I think he's been playing really well this year anyway. So, so I, I think, you know, so who, who are we talking about? I, you know, Andrew Mangiapane, he's another guy that would fit that category. I think Michael Backlund fits that category. You know, like just people who really think the game, who know the game, who live the game, who are smart about the game. Those players generally do well with, uh, with Daryl Sutter. Chatting with our NHL insider, Eric Tehachik, here on Hockey Central at noon on, on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You mentioned your time out in California. There is a, a California team that going through a, a bit of an interesting stretch right now. I, I thought it was um, a little noteworthy, talking about the, the Anaheim Ducks here, that Bob Murray came out and, and gave his support to Dallas Aikens and was talking about Ryan Getzlaff. And I get that the Ducks are struggling, but... Weren't we kind of expecting the, the Ducks to, to struggle? I, I was surprised that, that there was this much pressure on, on Anaheim that the GM needed to come out in favor of the coach and one of the team's best players of all time. Yeah, well, no, I, I, and again, I, I think your assessment there is correct because if you look at the way Anaheim has, has tried to operate in the past handful of years, it, you know, they understood that you know, they kind of, they, I mean, they won that one championship and, uh, and they rode, got slapped and Perry for as long as they could and for as hard as they could. And then they realized, as all organizations do, that finally that window was closing and they needed to integrate some of the younger players in their lineup. So if you look at what has happened this year, you know, Max Comtois has taken a step forward. Um, Isaac Lundestrom has taken a step forward. Max Jones has taken a step forward. And a couple of players that they that they thought would be better haven't quite got there yet. So I think they were hoping that Troy Terry would be a little bit further along. I think they were hoping that Sam Steele would be a little further along. But they're committed to playing that core of young forwards that they've uh, that they've drafted. And you know, recently we've seen Trevor Zegras, you know, started the year in the in the minors and has come to the NHL and. Uh, and he's just a wonderful talent. I mean, everybody that watched the World Junior Tournament the last two years 
knows how, how good he is and how confident he is. So he's not a finished product yet, but he looks like someone that is going to be, you know, an above average NHL player for a long period of time. And it probably isn't going to take him a long time to get there. So, so th- that group of forwards is starting to, to come a little bit. But as in, you know, anytime you put a lot of faith in a young group like that, you get inconsistency. And that's what I see with Anaheim. I actually watched that uh, Kings-Ducks game yesterday, and it was it was kind of a, a joyful mess. Like It was kind of fun to watch, but, <laughs> but it would, it's the kind of thing that would drive a coach absolutely crazy. But, you know, they are prepared and have been for a while to, to live with, with what they see. And so, you know, when you, when you look at Anaheim, and the other thing that has really hurt them this year is that, you know, they've, they really thought that they had a, an experienced enough defense there to, to, to help overcome some of the mistakes that those young forwards make. But, you know, Hampus Lindholm has had, you know, another, he's got another injury right now out again. They haven't had access to him very much. And, uh, you know, and Josh Manson has just recently come back. And I think he left the game last night, too. He's just some, a guy that uh, is really important to, you know, as a top four, you know, physical guy. You know, he's got a lot of Chris Tanev in him. And, uh, and he has been hurt and hasn't been able to contribute. So they had to go with a younger defense. They've had to put Kevin Shattenkirk, who they essentially signed as the power play specialist, in a situation where he's not playing the protected minutes that you probably have to play Kevin Shattenkirk at this time. So a lot of the, you know, the, those best laid plans that any team has, they, you know, they almost always go off the rails a little bit because of injuries and, you know, some people, you know, exceeding expectations and others not. But I do think that, that ultimately, you know, if you can keep your eye on the big picture, and I think Anaheim is trying to do that, they're, they're trending in the right direction. And it'll be interesting to see what they do at the trade deadline. We did a thing at The Athletic uh, about a week ago, sort of in, in looking at who might be available. At the time, Ricard Raquel was one of the coldest players in the National Hockey League. Well, boom, you know, like he's, he's just proven to a whole lot of people with 12 points in his last six games that he's still got it. He's been excellent for them. I don't know whether that sort of takes him off of the block. I kind of think it does, actually. I think the, the forward they're trying to move there is Danton Heinen, and I think they would listen on Manson. Um, you know, when Lindholm, it's not going to happen this year. Um, but, but, you know, I think they, they have the ability to move a couple of uh, pieces at the deadline. Financially, you know, I mean, get, whether Getzlaff plays next year or not, you know, $8.25 million of him, if his contract comes off the books, another two six of David Backus comes off the books, and the buyout for Corey Perry, I think, drops from, I looked it up the other day, from 6-6 six, six to 2. So so suddenly they're going to have 15 extra million dollars to spend. So I, I think they're trending in the right direction. And, and I think that, you know, the ownership there has been fairly patient over the years and trusted the, the manager there, Bob Murray. And, and, and I, I, I think that's going to continue. I, you know, I see people, you know, calling for change there. And I think that probably what you're going to see is more stay the course. And, and you know, a year from now, if these young players continue to develop, especially if Zegris blossoms, and also Jamie Drysdale, by the way, has had a very good start in uh, in the AHL for uh, for the Ducks, and he looks like he's readier, baby, for the NHL than they believe. So they've done a really nice job of uh, of, of you know because of that you know top those top ten draft choices of, of picking you know very talented young players, and just have to see how they develop. What is the the future of Ryan gets left there? Do you think, like you said, his contract at eight point two five comes off the books, thirty five years old, um, one of the most important pieces of that Anaheim's Anaheim Ducks team for the last decade or so, uh, even longer than that. Um, it, it would be weird to see him in any jersey other than the Anaheim Ducks. But do you think there could be kind of a split coming here? 
Um, no, I don't think so. Although, you know, the, the part okay. of the problem with covering hockey and COVID is that you can't, you cannot be in the dressing room. You cannot take somebody aside and you can't just sort of have a conversation about, about which way you're leaning. So what I would say, so this is a perspective from the outside and, and, and it's just an interpretive rather than, you know, through any knowledge of, of what they're thinking. But I think what ends up happening a lot of times in a situation like this is they, they would like him to play out his career in Anaheim. They understand as the Kings did that you still have to have veteran leadership around you can't just turn the keys over to all the young players look at la kind of you know making this quick transition they still kept kopitar they still kept brown they still kept carter they still kept dowdy you know they they, you have to have you know ties to your successful past in the organization and if you don't have those guys then you have to go out and get those guys so what i think will happen is at the end of the the season they'll go to ryan getzlap and say okay what do you want to do and if i had to guess i'm going to guess that he's not ready to to pack it in they that he wants to see how things can can go in, in in the new era, and you know when you get to the age of 35 and you've made all the money that he's made, you're probably satisfied just to take a one-year contract and and evaluate it year by year. So my best guess is that at the end of this season they will sit down with him. Do you want to play? The answer will be yes. They'll sign him to a short-term contract for less money than what uh, that he's what making right now, and they'll you know they'll ask him to to help sort of be a steward of this next generation of players that comes on stream. And if they come on stream faster than you think, then maybe you can get excited about winning again. A couple more here with our NHL insider Eric Tehachuk. Uh, I do want to get your thoughts as since we last spoke, uh, Walter Gretzky passed away. A, a number of wonderful tributes have been coming in for uh, someone who about as important to the game of hockey as you can be without setting foot in the National Hockey League. Uh, your thoughts on, on on Walter Gretzky? Yeah, you know, so, so I did a couple of those that uh, you know tribute type things as well, and 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 you know, and, and what I would tell you is that I only ever met Walter casually, and you know, sort of nodding, you know, when he was with Wayne and things like that. So I, I you know, unlike some people who had a lot of you know long conversations with him, you know, my contact with him was was fairly minimal. But but I will tell you this: that over the years, Wayne Gretzky and I have spoken a lot about parenting because his children are roughly the same age as mine, and. Uh, and they went through the Pokemon craze together, and we would always talk about the lessons that we learned from our parents, and then how we're, you know, how we're trying to teach our own children, and, and sort of, you know, like we, we start to sound like like our parents. And I remember saying that to him one time, uh, you know, because I was coaching my son in, in minor hockey, and he was coaching his son in, in, in little league baseball, and I said. Do you realize that the words sometimes coming out of your mouth sound an awful lot like your dad? And he laughed and he said, "Yeah, we all do that." And and uh, you know, he, he, I mean, he he had a really great relationship for his father. And and but his dad, you know, like and his dad, I mean, his dad was from that generation of people that uh, that you know that you know wanted the best for their children, were willing to sacrifice an awful lot to to help get the best for their children. But they also you know, sort of had a high standard. And, you know, I grew up in a family like that, too. And, uh, you know, so we we had, you know, everything that, that the family produced was, was at your disposal to help you lead a better life, you know, education, sports, all those things. And, uh, and yet you also felt a responsibility because you understood that your parents were sacrificing things in order to allow you to, to, to pursue your own goals, whether it be academic or or athletic, and 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 I think that that's that came through in, in Wayne's eulogy. Like how he appreciated what his parents did um, at, a, at a point where they had very little. You know, he told me that funny story. I don't know if you saw it about uh, you know him and his dad and his mom in the limousine that uh, that uh, it was a Rolls Royce that that Nelson Scalvania picked them up at the airport. So this is when Wayne was signing his first contract with the Indianapolis Racers. And, 
And Nelson Scalvinia picks up the Gretzky family and Gus Fidelity, the agent, at the Vancouver airport. And on the way back to Nelson's mansion, his Rolls Royce breaks down. And so, so he says Nelson had a car phone at the time when that was not a, a very common thing. And they called out to the house and they brought out a second Rolls Royce. And the second Rolls Royce bro- broke down. So while they're waiting for yet another vehicle to pick them up, Nelson turns to Walter and says, Walter, let me give you a piece of advice. Never buy a Rolls Royce. And that, and Wayne said the look on his dad's face was so priceless. He said, my dad was making about 30000 a year working for Bell. And uh, he looked at Nelson. He said, Nelson, that's not going to be a problem. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, just the, that's just the way, you know, uh, you know, the family was, you know, you know modest, humble, um, you know, and uh, in a lot of the lessons, you know, like not everything was easy street there. Like his dad was kind of tough on him at different times. But, but Wayne understood that there was a purpose behind that. And, uh, and it helped him become the player that he became. So, you know, I think a lot of us have characterized Walter as Canada's uh, hockey dad. And I think that's an accurate uh, uh, portrayal because an awful lot of, of people from that generation did did something very similar. The people from this generation are doing that. You know, just go around Calgary before the melt and look at all the outdoor hockey that was played and all the dads that are putting together rinks for their, for their kids. It's, it's a great legacy. And, uh, and he was a really nice man. And I think that at the end of the day, that's, you know that that's probably the best thing that you can say about someone. You know, he lived a life his life very well. Uh, a lot of people that he touched, you know, felt grateful for the the contact. And um, you know, what more can you want from uh, you know when when you finally come to the end like that? Mm-hmm. It feels like characters like Walter Gretzky don't really exist in today's NHL where things are a little more buttoned up. Like Sidney Crosby or, or Connor McDavid's parents could walk down the street and bump into me and I would have no idea. Um, yeah. it, it just kind of feels like those types of characters are, are from a, a bygone era now. Yeah, hard to say. Uh, you know, when, when Sidney Crosby was first breaking into, into the league, we would run into Troy Crosby all the time. In those days, you know, I was covering more uh, league stuff and, and, you know, newspaper I worked for, you know, would send you to everything all-star game draft, you know, the family cup playoffs. And so I do think that there's a, a little bit more of that. I mean, you know, if Keith Kachuk, sort of the, the modern day uh, Walter Gretzky, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we, you know, we see Keith all the time at the dome while well, back in the days when he used to be able to be in the stick room sometimes and he'd be talking hockey with, with Craig Conroy. Um, you know, he, he was there in Ottawa when uh, like the last Flames road game I covered, which was January of a year ago, you know, Keith and the family were there. So, um, I, I do. I mean, I do think that you you see um, you, you do see you know the parents on the road occasionally. We, we saw you know Bobby Hull uh, when when Brett was playing, uh, you know, would occasionally you know pop by. So, it, it, but you're right. It, it probably wasn't as uh, isn't as ubiquitous now as uh, as it once was. But uh, but that's one thing that I you know I really like and appreciate about hockey is that it is a family thing. You know, if you go back and think about all of the you know, the great families that have played the house, the Hulk, the Richards, uh, the Mahavliches. I mean, all the way through, you know, like it's, it's what the lessons that one generation pass on to the, to the next and, and you just, you know, pay it forward. And so, um, you know, he, he was certainly a one of a kind uh, per, per person, but I think that was because Wayne was a one of a kind player. But, but, but I do think you still, you still see um, you know, the fathers and, and, you know, and even the moms. I mean, that's the great thing about those, those moms and, and dads trips, which again, we, we're not able to do right now, but those, those highlighted what your parents did for you as, as a, you know, uh, as a young player that, that helped you become a, a professional. And that was, a, that's a way of saying thank you. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's neat that, that, uh, that something like that continues. 
last one for you. A uh, bit more of a broad question, but as we are coming up on, on some of the more meaningful games of the season, uh, many teams reaching now the halfway point uh, of the National Hockey League year, what, what's kind of catching your eye from, from the NHL? I've been too laser-focused and too tunnel-visioned on this North Division, trying to, to broaden out a little bit. So, so what else is catching your eye from the National Hockey League these days? Well, I mean, it's a really good question because I am sort of at the point where I, I generally do a, like a mid-season report, you know, and assess surprises and, and, and teams that have gone the other way and then, you know, also start to, to figure out the um, MVP candidate. So I, I would say that, you know, at the top of my list is the Chicago Blackhawks only because, I, you know, I had them penciled in my mind to be, you know, a bottom team along the lines of a Detroit or, or, or an Ottawa. You know, I didn't know where their goaltending was but it seemed like they took an awful chance by 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 having essentially three unproven goaltenders to to you know to to pick from and then of course they had the bad luck with with Taves and the bad luck with Doc and so you know even with all hands on deck I thought they were going to be a very average slash marginal team and you know then with you know those guys being out uh, you know I thought they could potentially be you know the worst team in the league and yet you know here they are in the playoff mix Lankinen has come in and, and been brilliant in goal and probably is going to be in the rookie of the year conversation. Um, you know, Patrick Kane is having an MVP style season. I think that right now we've, we put five names on our MVP ballots, uh, you know, to, to my way of thinking, you know, you probably have to have McDavid on it. You probably have to have Matthews on it. You probably have to have Kane on it. You probably have to have Kopitar on it because Los, Los Angeles to me, it seems to be further ahead. Than, uh, than where I thought they would be in terms of their development. They've worked some of their young kids in, and you know, Gabe Velarde looks like an NHL player right now, and you know, Jared Anderson Dolan, you know, when he had an opportunity to play, looks like an NHLer. So they're starting to, to come a little bit too. So those would be the, the 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 two surprise teams, and I would say that the two, you know, most disappointing teams are Buffalo and Nashville. You know, they're just hot messes right now. And when you think about, again, you know, you you try to calculate what the off season moves will do and and I, I love Buffalo's move to sign Taylor Hall. I love the, the the trade for Eric Stahl. I thought that 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 gave them two top six pieces and, and Stahl's leadership and you know Hall not that far removed from an MVP combined with Eichel and Reinhardt and Rasmus Dahlin and Rasmus Ristolainen and, and Linus Olmark uh, you know looked like a, a goalie that was coming. I thought they had a chance to 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 move up and they've been dreadful. And similarly, you know, Nashville Made a lot of strategic buys. You know, they got out from under Kyle Tourist's contract. Duchesne looked motivated. Johansson looked motivated. Yossi was coming off of a Norris Trophy winning season. I thought Nashville would be a lot better. So those would be the two disappointments. And certainly Los Angeles and, and uh, Los Angeles to Chicago would be uh, among the you know, pleasant surprises for me. Eric, this was fun today. Thank you very much. And we'll chat again next week. All right. Thank you. Thank you. There is uh, Eric Tehachuk joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. That is going to do it for Hockey Central at noon today. If you missed any of Lubo or uh, missed any of Tehachuk, those will be up online at sportsnet.ca slash 960 in a little bit. I'm Peter Klein at home. Logan is our producer today in the iconic studio powered by iconic electric and controls proudly owned and operated from western canada since 2008 iconic takes great pride in giving back to the communities we all work and live in diversity it's iconic contact them today at iconic ec.com
Ca. So Daryl is back with the Flames. We finally have the first practice of Daryl Sutter era version 2.0. All the notes from that and uh, a bit more analysis as we get ready for Flames and Habs coming up on Thursday. Right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.